Welcome to the Creativity Lab, the podcast that shows how to channel your creativity to live your best, most beautiful life. And now here's your host, director of the Creativity Lab at West Los Angeles College, Harvard PhD, TV writer and professor, Dr. Catherine Boutry. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Each episode, we discuss a creative approach to life's challenges. Today, we'll listen to musician songwriters Rick Mayock and Diane Hubka and discuss the birth of a song, finding work art balance, music as political protest, and constantly evolving. A prolific songwriter, Rick Mayock has been performing with bands as a solo artist in the LA area and on the East Coast since the 1970s. He was an integral part of the Venice Beach music scene. He's founder, lead vocalist, and guitarist of the band East of Lincoln, playing a blend of original rock, blues, R&B, and urban acoustic music. Originally from Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, he still plays there with the West Side Blues Band, with singer-songwriter Don Chappelle, and with legendary blues harmonica player Charlie Singer. The Appalachian mountain-bred artist Diane Hubka learned violin, trombone, and guitar from an early age. Diane recorded critically acclaimed CDs, one with legendary sax player Lee Connitz. In 2005, she performed at iconic jazz venues in LA and Japan. Her CD, I Like It Here, Live in Tokyo, placed on Japan's Jazz Disc Award. In recent years, Diane has picked up her acoustic guitar and before the shutdown was performing in LA's Americana folk music venues. The Jazz Times recently said of her, no matter the genre, she wraps her clear as mountain stream sound around the songs with consistently winning results. Diane and Rick, thank you so much for being with us today. I would imagine that for everyone, but especially for a musician, COVID must have presented a lot of challenges for you. How did that affect you? So we started uh, playing at my house online, and we I got a, I got invested in some really nice equipment. I got a nice mixer, a nice camera, and um, figured out the software on my computer. It was quite a project, but I kind of enjoyed having that to work on. And then we started broadcasting live weekly shows on Facebook and YouTube, and. Uh, you know, it was real, it was it was great. At least we could play, and the people uh, we we the challenge was there's no live audience, so um, you know you'd finish your song and it'd be <laughs> you'd have to look at your iPad and see oh I see a, a an emoji of a clapping, <laughs> and but that was nice actually. I, we had several regulars that would tell us how much they enjoyed coming Wednesday. We called it Wednesday Happy Hour. It got us through. We did it for about a year, and then. Uh, Finally, things started to open up a little bit. We were vaccinated, and we started playing outside, and we, we moved to a weekly show outside. Um, still feeling not quite ready to go indoors yet, um, but feeling that it was safe outside, and it was so pretty, and we, we bought battery-powered amps so that we could just be completely self-contained you know, in a park with no electricity, and, <laughs> um, and it's working. We're still doing it every Sunday. So how did it change, did it change you at all as musicians to play, have that experience playing online? Did it give you any yeah, skills you weren't expecting? I think it made me more inward focused, you know, because I've been doing a lot of farmer's markets over the past few years and got into a little bit of a routine, maybe even a rut doing that because it was just sort of this built-in audience and you didn't have to do anything to promote, you know, just kind of show up and play. And I think COVID forced me to focus more on my instrument, you know, playing, I actually started practicing the guitar, which, you know, you sounds odd. You didn't have odd. to in a way, yeah. No, well, no, I did. I, <clears throat> I just, I just, you know, um, got kind of, you know, used to not practicing and, you know, I'd go to the 
gig and open up the guitar case and then afterwards put the guitar in the case and not open it until the next gigs. So it forced me to, to look more at my playing and I started taking singing lessons to become a better singer. I also um, started focusing more on the writing, uh, on the songwriting. And so it made me a little more inward focused than outward focused. So if you don't have that, you know, that connection with with a regular gig or an audience, then you, you have to do your art in, in some way. So it was instead of satisfying the, the public, I was trying to satisfy myself and convince myself that I was still a musician. So you both write music. Yes. Well, I've written one song, but primarily I, I, I guess I write arrangements. I mean, I like to find a new song and do it my way. Rick's a really good songwriter. Where do you find your inspiration? Since my earliest childhood, I can remember that there's been this kind of orchestra going on in my head. And I, I used to say to myself as a kid, you know, if I knew how to write a song, well, that would be one. <laughs> you know? But I, I, I just was, <laughs> thought I didn't know how to write songs. And that went on for a long time. And finally, when I moved to California and I was in my early 20s, and I met some musicians and songwriters that were my age. And I listened to their songs and I thought, you know, I can do that. <laughs> that uh, I have songs that are at least that good. I just won't let anybody know that I don't know how to write songs, and and you know I'll just present the song and say here it is. And and as long as nobody knows that I don't know how to write a song, I'll, I'll be able to trick everybody. And I still think that way in, in a sense, you know. But the the songs are there, and it's almost like you know there's there's a frequency, and um, you know there might be a song that I'm hearing or a song that I'm working on or a song that I've written or a song that someone else has written but there's always music going on in my head and even when I try to meditate you know people have given me mantras and said you know sing, say, say this mantra but if there's music going on you don't need the mantra it's just, it's still there there's just no escaping it in a way so it's almost like I had to find a way to let it out you know, it's like a writer I'm sure you understand as a writer you have these ideas and you have to get them out do musicians think differently than other people? I mean, do you? I don't have music going on in my head. I might have phrases. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I think any kind of creative, creative exercise, you know, helps you uh, see other aspects of your life. I mean, you know, I had a good education in school with, uh, you know, uh, learning to play an instrument and um, and the arts. We had arts. This was a long time ago. <laughs> I think it got cut. A lot of it has been cut out of the mm. schools now. And um, I work, I well, I also work as an accountant. I don't know if we've talked about that yet, but, um, you know, in order to support my art, I have another job. And I did actually graduate with a degree in, in accounting. Um, and I, uh, I work, I've always worked for nonprofit organizations. A lot of musicians I, that I know, you know, to get, uh, in order to be able to support themselves, went into computer science. And so, because music is very mathematical, some aspects of mu musical theory. Um, so it's, uh, and I think that in my accounting, I joke and I say, well, my accounting's pretty creative. It's not supposed <laughs> to be, but, uh, but it, it, you know, you can, it's, I think it's something about the left brain, right brain, you know, having both. Um, and I think women maybe do this more easily than that we uh, kind of can see the world in not such a black and white way, but see different ways of seeing things. I think actually you both do a really impressive job of balancing what I call the work art balance because it's not very common that people can just devote 100% of their time to their art. And so sometimes we have divided jobs and that's not to say it's a bad thing. How do you negotiate that balance? Is, it, is there a day for music and a day for work? Can you both talk a little bit about that? 
you do have to be disciplined. I mean, it's easy to get loose track of that. But I think the times in my life when I haven't had the other work and I've just been trying to do uh, creative work, um, I didn't feel comfortable not making any money, not mm. having worrying worrying about money. Like I had no money, but I worried more about it. Um, and I also probably had too much time, so I wasn't as as efficient with my time. But now I have to be. You know, I have a schedule, and I have so my time is more precious in a way. Uh, but I just, for me, it's just personally, I needed to not have to worry about paying my rent if I, as long as I can know that I'm uh, I'm going to survive. <laughs> just knowing that I don't have to worry about that, and then I can, I'm free to just do art for art's sake, and I don't I, I don't put the burden on the art to make a living or to be, you know. Right. And I, but I also think like I want to be professional and I want, and I do, I do get paid for, for my music. Uh, and I, I have recorded six CDs now, almost a seventh one is ready. Um, and I do try to uh, you know, consider myself a professional musician, um, but I just, you know, I think it's okay to think that you can do more than one thing well. There's no shame in doing other things that are to support your art. And that's how I, I feel. I had a teacher one who, who was a f famous jazz singer, um, Sheila Jordan, and she was always known for having worked full time in an office. And, and then she retired, and she had another 30 or 40 years after that to be professional. And, but she was, had a great career before then, and uh, I always knew that. And then I took a workshop with her one time, and, she sa and I said, you know, I was, I was inspired by you because you had this job and you still had your career. And she said, she said don't you ever let anyone make you feel bad that you're that you're having to do whatever you have to do to do your art. You do whatever you have to do to, to make your art, and I appreciate it. What about you, Rick? Yeah, I, you know, I, I went to hear a concert the other night. It was J.S. Bach at uh, an oratorio uh, in the sacred music. It was beautiful. They had the, you know, the choir, orchestra, and it was at the First Presbyterian Church in Santa Monica. And you know, Bach wrote hundreds of pieces of sacred music and I was wondering like why did he write some sacred music but because the church was his employer you know oh I didn't and know that and so you know you have to you benefactor. know if you look at yeah benefactor like you know renaissance artists always had a benefactor today I guess you know the the, the message I would give to, to to young people is that if you don't have a benefactor <laughs> become your own benefactor like Diane's yeah. a good role model because she, she she's able to support her art and she you know we're, we're She's producing a CD now, which you know costs thousands of dollars, but she has this, another skill that she can use to feed her art. Now, that's the idea of, of having uh, becoming your own benefactor. I think that's that's a good uh, a good message for you know, uh, and and you know I, I like the idea of the the vocation versus the avocation. Mm. You know, your vocation is what you do for a living. It's your it's your your occupation. You know, but your avocation I think is what your heart is telling you what you're supposed to do with your life, and it's. Wonderful if, if your vocation and your avocation are the same thing. You're very blessed to have that. But most people, I think, have to have a vocation to sort of feed their avocation. And so my message to students is, you know, don't let your vocation get in the way of your avocation. Mm. You know, it's, 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 good to, it's good to have a vocation. You have to make a living. But um, if that becomes your whole life, then I think you're going to be unhappy because you're not feeding the part of your soul that needs that expression. For me, it's music, or whatever your art happens to be. You have to feed that as well. How did you know you wanted to pursue music, Diane? 
Um, you know, it really, I don't feel that I, I just am a musician. I don't feel that I chose to do it. I feel it, it, it found me, uh, especially when I heard jazz for the first time. Um, Where was I, that? Uh, well, I was in college in Western Maryland, <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, never heard jazz before. Heard uh, the top 40 radio at the time was, in, this was in the 70s, so it was playing the songs that we're doing now, which is like Joni Mitchell and uh, Neil Young and Bob Dylan and um, Linda Ronstadt. I was a huge fan of Linda Ronstadt. My boyfriend in college was a, was a musician so I hung out with his band and I learned a lot about uh, you know their rock and roll band about putting t gigs together and getting work <laughs> and all the and, and they would um, they would play and then they would record it and then we'd all go afterwards and we'd all listen to the recording afterwards <laughs> it's just like um, so I, I always loved music but I just thought well I'm happy you know he's the musician I'll just follow him and then we broke up um, and then I took some guitar lessons and I found, um, and they were playing jazz and I was like, what is this? And they said, and they said, well, we need a singer. If you want to play, play with us, we want to be our singer. And, um, and I sang a song with them and they said, okay, you passed the audition. And I was like, oh, I'm not really ready to do that. <laughs> what it was like Frank Sinatra, June Christie and that kind of stuff. I thought, ah, oh, this is kind of corny for my hip, you know, seventies <laughs> mentality. But, um, and then I heard, uh, Carmen McRae great jazz singer. Mm. I heard her sing something I was like I had never heard something so cool I was like I have to do that. So I think it just found me and then I just um, pursued it 100% listening only to jazz and playing and I moved to DC and then later to New York and studied with some great teachers. I was working as an accountant during all that time. So you weren't <laughs> so. getting a degree in music? No, you know the interesting thing to me is that when I was in college um, the, there were very few colleges for jazz. Um, it was, and I, I didn't, I just found that out as I was graduating with a different degree anyway, um, that if I wanted to study jazz, it was recommended that I find a private master teacher and take private lessons because primarily the music programs in schools then were for classical music. Um, and I didn't want that. I want, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because it's like, it's all, you know, there's a, two kinds of music, good music or bad music. But, um, <laughs> But I, uh, so I did, I, and I still do study, you know, privately with people. But of course now there's like almost every school has a jazz program, which is great. How about you, Rick? When did you know you were going to be a musician? How did you pursue? How did you come to this journey? It's not anything I came to. It, it, it came with me. I met a guy a few years ago and he said he used to play music all the time. And, and then he said to me, you know, I, I set my clarinet down 30 years ago and I haven't touched it. And I thought, I, I can't imagine that. I, I can't imagine going 30 years without touching my guitar, mm. or 30 days without touching my guitar, you know. It's just something, it has to be part of my life, and I would be very, I, I can't imagine a life without playing music on some level. And, you know, I, I don't want to get caught up in the whole, you know, competitive thing, because there's always going to be a better singer, a better songwriter, a better guitar player. You know, I was watching YouTube the other day, and there was an 11-year-old kid playing Jimi <laughs> yeah. Hendrix, and I was going, like, I've been playing for 50 years. I can't do what this kid's doing. You know? I just do it because, because I love it and, it, and it makes me happy, and, and it makes me not happy if I don't do music. And uh, I think that's just part of my makeup. It's not something that I... In fact, I've even tried to not pursue music, but it keeps pushing me back into it. So I thought, you know, do an academic career, which I've been doing, but there's always been that musical part. In every job I've ever had, the music's been there. You started um, only doing music for many years, right, as a young adult? No, I always then, had a job. And then you went back to school? Oh, yeah, okay. I always had a job. Oh, you know, that's I've, right. I've worked in, you know, I worked in bands, you know, when I was younger, and I could, uh, you know, play four nights a week and play in the bars and, you know, do a full-time job and, you know, show up Monday morning, you know, 
and everybody would say, how was your weekend? I'd be like, oh, <laughs> where's the coffee? You know, but, but uh, yeah, I just, I never, I never put myself in the position where I only played music for my, for my living. Because I felt like that was a compromise, because I'd be playing stuff, I think it would have been bad for the music. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd be playing the same songs over and over again. I'd get burned out. I have friends that do that. They've been doing it for years, for decades. But that's not me. I needed something else. And um, I'm very fortunate that I'm able to teach philosophy and talk about ideas for a living and work with young people and students and, and do music on the side. And, and that's been a nice combination. Did you take lessons as a child? Um, no. How did you learn your craft? I didn't. That's my little secret. By ear. He does it by ear. He just out of me. He does it by ear. I'm a trickster. You know, I'm, I, I, I just, it's all a trick. You, you know. shouldn't be ashamed of that. You should be proud of that. That's fascinating. I had piano lessons, but I had a lot of piano trauma because my teacher was mm. very sadistic. Uh, she was a, an, a, my great aunt, who was a nun. And she used to hit me, you know, with this stick, and um, so I, 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 my sister, my, one of my older sisters, got a guitar, and I was probably about thirteen, and uh, she played it for a week, and she said her fingers hurt, so she set it down. So I picked it up, and I started just, you know, playing it. And I, the top two notes, I was playing the top two notes, and it, I did this little thing, and it sounded like. Um, you know the song Secret Agent Man, uh-huh. Johnny Rivers? I was doing near, 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 near. I thought, wow, that sounds like something, you know, and maybe I can just trick everybody and pretend I can play, you know, and that's how it started. So how does that affect how you write music? Is it more organic? Is it, or does it? Maybe yeah, it's impossible no, to answer. sit down and do chart, you know, that all comes later. I just, you know, kind of, the other day we were doing a photo shoot for the, for the CD in uh, Franklin Canyon. And I was a little delirious because I was still, uh, I had uh, hernia surgery of three oh. days prior. Oh my God. And I was still on medication and kind of delirious. And we were walking around in the sun, sunlight and there's a little barn where we were doing a photo shoot in front of the barn. And I sat down and I thought, well, you know, Diane came up with the name Sun Canyon for the band. And Our I thought, band. well, we should have a song. And then I thought, well, what, what could a song be? And I thought, come on and meet me at Sun Canyon. And then I, I started thinking, well, the name of the song should be Sun Canyon. And then the next thing I know, I had like these lyrics coming, and it was, you know, come on and meet me at Sun Canyon. I want to make you my companion. You know? It's and so then, and then cute. It's the thing best. just kind of fell together. But by, by that evening, I had the verses written, and uh, it, it was done the next day. Wow. The song was done, and and I still don't think it's a song because I didn't have any stress over it. It was just you know, <laughs> it just came out, and, and I played it for Diane. She said, "I love that," and I'm like, "Really?" I thought it was somebody. I thought, "Oh, that's a really cool tune from the '60s or '70s that I have to learn that song." What is that? He just wrote it. So, what comes first, the words? It sounds I can't tell from the way you described, it, or is it just does it all come in, in fully this, birthed in it, a way, verse it, by verse? It, it, kind of like the concept. Like like if if you have the concept, like if you told me to write a song in in, in the next month. You know, 20, 29 days from now, I'd be sitting there with nothing. You know? But if she said, write a song about the black box theater, you know, okay, then we'll do it. Like, if it was the focus, because I had the topic, and as long as I had the focus of the topic, I was able to come up with the concept, and then the lyrics flowed after that, and then I came up with this music, which I thought was very kind of cliche, and I put it together and dancing. That's great. I'm like, well, it. But it's not great because I didn't have an anxiety attack about it. She <laughs> That's said, no, part of the process, normally. Usually, you know, I can work on a song for years and not finish it because I, I don't know, I get, I get in the way. But this was one of those songs that just, 
just came out. Where does the anxiety come from? Is it doubts that it won't be good? Is it doubts that it won't be well received? Plagued by doubts. Yeah, absolutely. In, in the, the artist dilemma. I wake up in the morning plagued with doubts, you know. But then it has to come out, you know. I was, I was reading Nietzsche. Nietzsche was writing in his aphoristic style this one little quote, and he's somebody. The first, the question was, "Why do you write?" And the answer was, "It's the only way I know of getting rid of my thoughts." <laughs> you know, as a writer, I'm sure you can understand that. Absolutely. It's 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 in there. It has to come out. But for me, it's not even in there. It's it comes through. It's almost like you. A radio dial, you, you tune in on the frequency and it comes into focus. And, mm. you know, I, I was reading an interview with Paul McCartney and he said, you know, I don't write songs, the songs come to me. I'm just the channel through which they come. And then, you know, with all the creativity stuff that, that you taught me about, you know, being an ideator, I was an ideator when we did that test. So that's the the person who comes up with the idea, but then you also have to be the developer and the What's the other one? The clarifier, the implementer. Yes. So you have to be all of that to, to finish a song. I think the more you do it, too. Like, you've been writing a lot. Since we've been playing a lot. It's been, the, you know, the great gift that COVID gave us, if you can put it, think of it that way, was that we just had this opportunity to play, and we couldn't do a lot of other things. <laughs> we have a pretty tight band now, It's so, it, and it's very fulfilling to, and enjoyable to get it to that point. It's, it's easier once it gets to that point. But, um, but I think that's the same would be with songwriting, if you just kind of do it every, I know friends who write songs and they say, I just have to write a song every day. And, it's, and you just cannot edit it, you cannot judge it, you just have to write it. And then some of them will be good and some of them won't be, but it's just a matter of doing it. Does it come easier with time and experience or does it always, I feel like I, I always feel like the blank page is still the blank page, no matter how many times you've done it, but you have a little bit of, confidence to know. Well, I've done it before, so but I'll the, get the past bar, this the, moment. The bar gets higher, though. But the bar gets higher. Like, what might have satisfied me as a song, you know, 20 years ago, now I'd say it's kind of cliche, I need to do something. You know, so it's a challenge true. of trying to do something original, but, um, you know, everything's borrowed. You know, that's my secret. That's everything's borrowed. Do the people in your lives have to be musical to understand you? I kind of feel like I talk a lot about music. I like to be able to talk about music, so if I... Um, and then, you know, I want somebody who supports what I do. Um, you know, I've had been in relationships with non-musicians who came to my gigs and thought it was really cool that I was a jazz singer until one weekend they wanted me to do something else. And I was like, well, I can't say no because I may not get another job for six months. I have to, and besides, I want to do it. Yeah. And I would never tell you not to take a case just because. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think that's sort of important, but, or just someone who is creative helps be able to communicate. Have you ever had moments where you thought about giving up or you felt frustrated or how do you get through those moments, those doubts? I changed genres, I think. Mm. <laughs> you did. I, I, I've completely uh, changed my whole uh, creative model <laughs> in a way um, because I went from very straight ahead in the pocket jazz singer to a folk singer and about six years ago. Um, kicked off my high, high heeled shoes, put, took off the silver earrings, <laughs> put on dangly ones. And, um, so it's been a, a really fun, new, creative journey to, to, to change styles for me. It's what just, prompted yeah. that? In 2017, when on January 20th, when the new president came in that I did not vote for, <laughs> and I was very worried 
um, and and I just I wanted to sing protest songs and union songs mm -hmm. and you know I'm a, I'm a I'm a hardcore progressive Democrat, um, so that really was the the, the impetus. It's like I have to do something. I can't just sing another Cole Porter love song, and um, I want to do something. I want to get involved. I want to and I want my music to express how I'm feeling. You know, um, so it started that way, and then I just started rediscovering all the two cute you know folk rock songs that I grew up with and just enjoying and um, and just f learning new new music and new new, f new discovering new artists I love that as a reason <laughs> the, the music you don't think about music as being political but of course it is right of well, course especially going back to the 60s and 70s yeah. you know, you know um, this land is your land <laughs> yeah and uh, the times are changing I don't talk about politics like when we did our broadcast I would try you know I want to try to respect and appreciate everybody's opinion even though I feel very very strongly about mine <laughs> sure. but I also understand why a lot of people made the choices or made the see things the way they see them you know and that it's not the way I see it and I think that's kind of a tragedy because I think there's a lot, so much mis misinformation etc but um, you know music is a great thing about the arts all the arts hopefully brings brings people together and that's the common thing that everybody can enjoy a simple pretty melody and and a good beat that's fun to dance to. I mean, so we need we need music. We need art right now, especially with the war. Oh my gosh! Or it makes you see the world in a slightly different way, right? Do you hope that you persuade people with your music? Subliminally, maybe you know the the um, the, the lyrical messages hopefully will um, expound my values and you know. But I, I just think it's it's almost more important that we just like agree that we're all humans and we need to respect and appreciate each other and we have a short amount of time on this planet. We need to take care of it. We need to take care of each other. We need to try to find the commonality. Rick, I remember you playing in an open mic on campus, a beautiful rendition of Dylan's Forever Young Forever that Young, really yeah. stuck with me. Yeah. Is Dylan a favorite of yours? Do you play a lot of Dylan? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we We're do. We're going to do one. <laughs> and, uh, oh, really? I didn't even know <laughs> that. Oh, I okay. said yeah, that sure. perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah, I'm, I actually just bought tickets to see him at the Pantages uh, Theater in June. Yeah, I mean, I figure he's like 80, and how much longer is he going to be around? So I, I'd really like to see him. I'm really blessed because, you know, d back to your other question about getting stuck um, creatively, you know, I, I have the, the wonderful position of being able to teach, and, and as you know, you know, teaching requires a lot of creative energy. You have to create every class. Sure. And I'm also doing some writing, too. I write stories, and so if I get stuck with the, the, the songwriting, I can, you know, move over to another art and uh, work on that, and so um, it creates a balance, you know. So if I'm stuck with, with writing my stories, I can go back to writing a song or something like that. So I'm able to shift back and forth. I remember I, I used to work in politics, since we opened the door for politics, I used to work for Tom Hayden, who was an activist back in the 60s, and he ran for this, the Senate and the, and the Assembly here in California. Actually was, a, was an Assemblyman and a Senator for a while. And he, he was married to Jane Fonda at the time, and I remember at one time, Jane wanted to go out and knock on some doors during one of the campaigns, and so she asked me to drive her around. And we were wow. <laughs> going around in like wealthy areas of you know, uh, Chevy Hills, parts of Los Angeles, and knock on the door and say, like, people say, who is it? It's Jane Fonda. I want to talk to you about the election. And people come out like, Jane Fonda. Oh. <laughs> and, and I remember you know, talking to her at, at that time, and 
she said, how's the music going? Mm. And, you know, at the same time, she had, like, her, her workout enterprises. She had all these businesses going and her act, actress and activism. <laughs> and I said the most ridiculous thing. I said, well, you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, do art and have a job at the same time. And as I said that, I realized, who, who am I saying this to? Like, <laughs> this is somebody who's, like, the ultimate multitasker in a sense. And, and that made me realize, well, you know, I can do both. I can I can do my art and I can also... You know, have a have a a, a reasonably good job, to, you know, working for a good cause, and uh, make a living at that, and and still do music, and that's kind of what I've been doing ever since. And then I got into teaching later. Is it important to keep growing in your art, yeah. and how do you do that? It sounds like you changed genres, so that must have been a big. Yeah, I had to start all over again, learning all new songs. I started, I got a little coffee shop gig where I w went played for tips, and I didn't tell anybody I was doing it, so I could just kind of woodshed, we call it. Um, what does that mean, Chopping wood. I don't know, it's woodshedding. Uh, working, on your, uh, working on your art to get know. it to the point where it's good enough to be. <laughs> um, and I start, I would do an hour of jazz just because I already, you know, I could fill, I couldn't fill up a two hour gig with folk music, so I'd do an hour of jazz and then I'd do, switch to my acoustic guitar and, and play folk music. But um, yeah, it's been so gratifying to be able to play every week and, and uh, learn new songs. And I, I took some more vocal lessons last summer, had, had a great teacher. We recorded the CD recording is a really great process for learning the songs and growing as an artist because you're just literally under, it's like under a microscope, um, having to hear it over and over and you, get, mm. you really learn the material inside out, which makes it so much better. Um, so it's, it's very rewarding. To, to do that. Yeah, talk about putting yourself under a microscope, you know, and, you're, and, and Diane hired these really excellent studio musicians who do this for a living, you know, yeah. a bass player and a drummer. And it was a little intimidating for me to go in there with them because I'm not on that level, you know, and to be able to, you know, put I'd some tracks down. I'd say you are down. now. We have, well, we have well, Albert Lee on, on it as a guest artist, wow. amazing guitar player. Yeah. And, uh, there's a solo, there's, they take turns taking solo, and I had to ask Rick which one was him. I couldn't tell. Well, well there's this song I wrote called Belly of the Whale, and just at the very end of the, 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 uh, the basic track section, uh, we decided to do that. So I showed the musicians, I don't think we even had a chart, but I showed them how the song went. And I said, okay, let's, let's run through it one time. And they said, no, we got to roll, and roll yeah. the tape. <laughs> and that's the take, and, and it's amazing. They just nailed it on the first time through. That's, that's exciting. Yeah. Let's well, say you have to play tennis with someone better than you, so you yeah. become better. So that's yeah. the idea. <laughs> I think you guys are going to play for us today. Is that yes. right? Will you yeah. play for us? Yeah. We awesome. Will. All right. Let's do it. Okay. Here's a song by Bob Dylan. It's one of my fa favorite tunes. It's called You Ain't Going Nowhere. Get your mind off winter time Cause you ain't going nowhere 
the day my bride's gonna come. Oh no, we gonna fly down in the easy chair. Okay, this is a song called Ordinary Madness, and I got the title from Charles Bukowski. One of the first books I read of Charles Bukowski's was called General Tales of Ordinary Madness, and I thought, what a great title for a song. So anyway, I stole a lot of the lyrics from his poems in this song, but uh, anyway, it's, it kind of makes sense. It's called Ordinary Madness.
I can't believe I did either. No. <laughs>